The Old Testament reading uh, plays into the drama that will unfold in the, the gospel text. And it is taken from Exodus in the 31st chapter, beginning verse 12 and continuing through verse 17. This is a, a reiteration later on in the book of Exodus about the commands that have been given by the Lord through Moses to the people of Israel. And I invite you to listen for word from the Lord as it is there written. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak also to the children of Israel, saying, Surely my Sabbaths you shall keep, for it is a sign between me and you throughout your generations, that you may know that I am the Lord who sanctifies you. You shall keep the Sabbath, therefore, for it is holy to you. Everyone who profanes it shall surely be put to death, for whoever does any work on it, that person shall be cut off from among his people. Work shall be done for six days, but the seventh is the Sabbath of rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day, he shall surely be put to death. Therefore the Israelites shall keep the Sabbath, observing the Sabbath throughout their generations as a perpetual covenant. It is a sign forever between me and the people of Israel that in six days the Lord, the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. Here ends this reading from God's holy word. Our New Testament reading is a story of healing that comes from the gospel according to Luke in the 13th chapter, beginning at verse 10 and continuing through verse 17. Again, I invite you to listen for a word from the Lord as it is there written. Now he, Jesus, was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, and just then there appeared a woman with a spirit that had crippled her for 18 years. She was bent over and was quite unable to stand up straight. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said, Woman, you are set free from your ailment. When he laid hands on her, immediately she stood up straight and began praising God. But the leader of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had cured on the Sabbath, kept saying to the crowd, There are six days of the week in which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be cured, not on the Sabbath day. But the Lord answered him and said, You hypocrites, does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to give it water? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 long years, be set free from the bondage on the Sabbath day? And when he said this, all his opponents were put to shame. And the entire crowd was rejoicing at all the wonderful things that he was doing. Here ends this reading from God's holy word. Well, Jesus, it seems, had quite a knack for seizing upon teachable moments in his ministry. Throughout the gospel record, we read of the many ways and times he went about tangibly illustrating a point that he was making by incorporating 
the very people who had come to experience his ministry. He transformed them from passive spectators to active participants in his messianic mission. In the encounter that we read of this morning from the Gospel according to Luke, Jesus is speaking at a synagogue on the Sabbath day, which, for the Hebrews, is Saturday. We're told at the outset that he was teaching on that day in that place. And now you can ask any of the four folks who regularly rotate as leaders of our Sunday school class, when it is their turn to teach the lesson that week, it is work. Even though we use a well thought out and a comprehensive lesson in the teacher guide and in the participant books, there is still advanced preparation to be done for Sunday morning. There is familiarization with the biblical texts that we'll be looking at that week. There is consideration of what commentaries say about these texts and questions to be highlighted from the lesson. There are the editorial decisions that need to be made based on the time restraints that we have in our hour-long meetings. And then when the moment comes, there is more work, work of praying, and guiding the conversation of sparking and engaging with questions. Yes, teaching in the church really is work. I know. It is joyfully rewarding. Make no mistake. But it is work, however else you define it. So I would submit to you, even from the very outset, in this morning's reading from Luke, we find Jesus working on the Sabbath. It seems, though, this wasn't so much of an issue as long as he stayed in his lane. That is, reading the Old Testament scrolls to the people gathered in the synagogue to be reminded of the God that together they served and the covenants that he had cut with his chosen people of Israel, the sons and daughters of Abraham. I rather expect that they came there on the Sabbath day to be comforted by this reaffirmation and to be fed on the manna of these holy words, to be healed from the weariness of the week that had passed and to be refreshed for the living of the next six days ahead. Even after all these years, I think that same sort of hope exists in the hearts of those who come to God's holy sanctuaries on the appointed holy days even now. As I noted in a previous sermon, the great Reformed theologian of the 20th century, Karl Barth, spoke of this as a need of the people to hear again an answer to the question that is burning within them week in and week out, is it true? Answering that question week in and week out is indeed work. You have my word on that, I can assure you. Perhaps the leader or leaders of the synagogue that Jesus was attending on this particular Sabbath day 2,000 years ago had some awareness of this as well, but could reconcile it with the fourth commandment's prohibition against work on a holy day by not regarding teaching, well, at least not regarding religious instruction as a form of work. 
On this day, however, Jesus crossed that red line that is as old as organized religion, the one that gets us in the pulpit in trouble more than any other, as he crossed over from preaching to meddling. The authorities couldn't stand by as someone, especially someone who certainly should have known better after all, showed contempt for the law of Moses by attending to the physical healing of a chronically ill woman on this, a day of rest. This was a provocative act. Though Jesus must have known this would make waves just a few verses before here in this gospel, according to Luke, he declared, I came to bring fire to the earth and how I wish it were already kindled. He said, I have a baptism with which to be baptized and what stress I'm under until it is completed. And he finished by saying, do you think that I have come to bring peace to the earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. Jesus was the one then who instigated this episode of controversy there in the synagogue. When he observed this crippled woman, it was not because she had approached him to plead for a healing. No, the text tells us that Jesus was the one who called out to her with an invitation to come. And when she responds, then, of course, he performs this miracle, which meets with the disapproval of the synagogue leader. And that fellow's argument had some merit to it, if you consider that this woman had suffered with this ailment for 18 years already. So what would be the problem? Waiting one more day before working this act of restoration. For generations, there were laws on the books in this country, which prevented businesses from operating on Sunday. If you blew a light bulb, you were just gonna have to light a candle until Monday morning came when the store was allowed to reopen. But what about the healing in the synagogue? Who knows what tomorrow may bring? This wasn't a matter of an inconvenience. This was a matter of restoration. Hospitals stay open seven days a week, and a good thing, too. Many, many years ago now, my appendix decided it was about to rupture on a Sunday. It was obvious that it wasn't going to wait until Monday for a surgeon to get back in the office. And fortunately for me, provision was made for a life-saving after-hours operation. I did not check the credentials of the person who performed the operation, but they did just fine, and I have been quite grateful ever since. Well, like my doctor, or whoever it was, Jesus was the only one with the power to heal this woman in this time and place, and maybe he knew that this was his one and only chance. Perhaps by sundown, he or she was going to have to be moving on somewhere. The gravity of this woman's condition warranted an active intervention on his behalf. After all, he reasoned with those that he aggrieved. 
Does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to give it water? Comparing the routine care of a beast of burden to the dramatic, life-changing gift of wholeness that was being visited upon this woman, Jesus was putting into perspective the difference between the spirit and the letter of the law. Sure, he's saying to his detractors, when it suits you to skirt the fourth commandment, when you have some vested interest acting counter to the requirements God told Moses to inform the people of, then you have no qualms about it. Your animals are going to be taken care of because for you, they're valuable property and you are choosing to take care of them. Well, Jesus is saying, I choose to care for this woman. And yes, even you, you hypocrites. And Jesus cares for us as well. He will and he does look out for us even on the Sabbath. So I guess you could say that while God rested after six days of creation, he's been pretty busy ever since, making sure that his creation doesn't go on a weekly purge. As some seek to exploit legal loopholes in the mandates that we were given for living our best lives, throughout the gospel accounts of his earthly ministry, Jesus is pretty consistent with his message and his practice. He's not above taking liberties with the legalistic interpretation of the law when the need for compassion, for healing, for reconciliation outweighs the benefits of blind obedience. Perhaps it is in part because he himself is the giver of the law and the one who has come to fulfill it in a way that no other could that he is able to make these sorts of calls, which no one else is wise enough to. Whatever the case, a woman's long, painful nightmare is put to an end, and now she can begin a new life because of Jesus, and the first thing she does is to praise God. This is really why Jesus has come now, isn't it? To put an end to our days of deep darkness and offer us a new, abundant, and eternal life, a life full of praise to God. And when you think about it, is there any day, any day at all, when such a wonderful gift as this should be prohibited? So sometimes the work of the kingdom is to be done on the Sabbath. Some of it is being done as we gather together for corporate worship on what we as Christians call the Lord's Day. Our order of service is also called the liturgy. And that means the work of the people. So yes, some provision is already made to labor on this day. But we had also best not be constrained in our works of mercy, healing, kindness, and love. What better offering than these could we be giving to the one who made this day and set it aside for holy purposes? This is just the joy that Jesus is encouraging in the hearts of those present in the synagogue that fateful day. To celebrate with this woman her newfound freedom from that which had bodily and spiritually 
held her captive for so long. The new life that he was offering to her was the same life that he was offering to all those who were there that day. And that new life is the same that Jesus continues to offer all those here in this building and around the world. So, do honor the Sabbath and keep it holy, yes. Set aside time for weekly worship to recall God's mighty acts of creation and respond in gratitude for his ongoing stewardship. And always, always be prepared to serve others in his name, giving hope, comfort, and love as he never fails to serve us in all our times of need, yes, even on the Sabbath. And for that, we may truly say, thanks be to God and amen.